Hey everyone, you're now part of the B2B Power Hour and I'm your host, Nicholas Dickett. I'm Morgan Smith. We help sales professionals power up their sales skills from first touch to revenue, one hour at a time. Join us for weekly live shows and interviews with industry experts breaking down what works and what doesn't in the remote sales era. Now, on to today's episode. We might have a special guest. A special guest that may have written the book on it. Yeah. Just maybe. This is, just maybe. Um, so this is a surprise to everyone joining us today. So everyone, please welcome Stu Heineke, the father of contact marketing to the B2B <laughs> Power Hour. Yeah. I was going to say, oh my God, you guys woke me up. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you're not awake already, you should, yep, uh-huh. <laughs> hey, great to join you guys. Yeah, thank you so much, especially last moment. Oh my God. And then, you know, we, this blows my mind because we were talking just a few minutes before and there's this amazing connection between Morgan and, and his dad and me. <laughs> which a small world. <laughs> very cool. I'm sure we're going to talk about that. We might get into that for sure. Yes. <laughs> we should. We should. We should really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we like to kick it off around here with the question of the day. I'm loving seeing all of these highs in chat. So, Stu, do you have a, a question for our audience that you'd like them to answer just to get a know yes. more and, and warm up chat? What's that question? Yeah. I want to know, what's something that nobody knows about you? And I mean, make this good. I'm going to tell you one of mine. I'm married to a penthouse cover model. And I saw her in a, mag a different magazine. And I flew to Copenhagen to meet her. That's <laughs> like. How on That's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it did. That's amazing. So, something nobody knows about you, something that'll blow our minds. Share mm. them with us. That's a good question. What is something nobody knows about me? Nick is a marketer. What? <laughs> My dad is a marketer. Yeah. No, I think I've brought that up before. Oh, you know. One thing I think I haven't probably shared, at least on, on LinkedIn, is like I'm a classically trained piano player and I accompanied a number of choirs and pieces through the years. I don't really play much anymore, but I had lessons for at least like 14 years and then did jazz and a bunch of other improv stuff. So that was like mostly when I was younger. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think I've ever mentioned that before. Well, that's nice, but you got to come back with something much more shocking. Okay. <laughs> come on, this is the I like show. Oh, that's nice, but you know, something better, please. <laughs> now the bar's I'm sure you set. have something deep, dark, way like you've yeah. never told anyone, and we're going to get it out of you today. Okay, I'm going to need to think about you work this. work on it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we want to hear your answers, by the way, everybody joining us in chat, your deepest, darkest secrets that would shock and surprise Stu. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to hear that. <laughs> I was sponsored downhill racing and freestyle on a pedal bike. Wow. Okay, that's getting, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's I, pretty good. Uh, wow. I'm a that's competitive home brewer. That's not surprising. <laughs> yeah. No, Stu no, doesn't I, know that. I don't, I don't know you very well. So. <laughs> I, listen, I would have just done it on skis. So that's, you know. Yeah. That's, that's the that's easy way crazy. of doing it. <laughs> oh. I'm still trying to think of like, what is something shocking or surprising? What's the worst thing you sent through the mail? What's the Ooh, worst thing the I've worst sent thing. through? I don't know if I've ever. 
I mean, I've probably illegally sent alcohol through the mail before. I'm not sure if I was supposed to do that. Um, okay, so, you know what we're building here? So, what is, so I, what I broke some the audience laws, is, I guess. Like, what's, the worst, what's the worst thing you ever sent, either through the mail or to a prospect? Oh, I love... Okay, so Donald, not many people know he was homeless. Michaela Whoa. pushed her little brother down the stairs because he stole her doll. Uh, <laughs> Somebody learned a lesson that day. Listen, we're getting somewhere. Uh, Lynn was the first woman other than a nurse to work on the most maximum security unit of one of the two federally accredited hospitals for the criminally insane. Whoa. Wow. That's, wow. That's crazy. You need to get her on, on the show. <laughs> there are some stories there. I wow. Oh, goodness. <laughs> wow. I, I feel like right now is a great time for talking about stuff that other people wouldn't know that would really interest them. Why does Stu know your dad? Okay, so <laughs> this is like a the short version of this story was my dad is a marketer and he's his career was made out of like what he called disruptive marketing. So how could we raise eyebrows was sort of his catchphrase. And he did all sorts of crazy contact campaigns. For a financial services company, he would walk into the offices of Wall Street uh, lawyers with five $100 bills and approach the executive assistant and say, we want five minutes of his time and here's what we'll pay him. And that landed him meetings. That, um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, some of the CPAs were really confused too because they're like, we don't know if we can keep this money. Like, can, can, is this okay? It's like, well, no, it's up to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he had this crazy campaign once where he tied Halliburton spy cases or he handcuffed Halliburton spy cases to a delivery person as a part of a marketing campaign and would call ahead to make sure that the stakeholder was in the office and then would send the person and they would manually transfer the handcuff with the key over to the assistant and inside was a whole like presentation. There was like a iPad or a Mac or something in there that would play a video. But anyways, one of the pieces of work I think was discussed as a part of your research, Stu, for one of your books and it is a really small yeah. world that that's the case. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah, your dad's a great source for this stuff. And mm. I'm I'm just, you know, I was just kind of wondering, you guys know the movie Hitch, right? Yeah. Way before the slap, right? <laughs> on, on Oscars. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's a Will Smith movie. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just wondering if your dad was maybe a technical uh, advisor on that because... And I never asked him that, but <laughs> I but, don't you think know, so. <laughs> if you watch that movie, Hitch, he goes through the whole movie using all kinds of really terrific stuff to get people's attention. So I'm, I'm curious, <laughs> but yeah, your dad, your dad did some amazing stuff, and so that that's in um, Get the Meeting in my book, Get the Meeting, the yellow one. That's awesome. He was talking about theme boxes, which are very cool, and he's one of those guys who would spend a lot of money on each of these these touches. So. And I yeah. even made up a sample one. I, I thought that's just the coolest thing. I gotta I need to make up a sample one so that because the photographs he gave me were really tiny. They were like, I can't use these. So so I made one up with a model of a MIG jet fighter, a Soviet MIG jet fighter. And because he talked about, you know, send someone a box like a cigar box with a with an indie car model and and put tickets underneath like a false bottom, put tickets underneath to go drive an indie car. Or flying in, in a jet fight or something. I, mean, I, I would totally go for that. <laughs> yep, those were some success. Yeah, some are, of those, those were even great. used for like existing clients instead of prospects. 
as a way to nurture and extend larger deals. Because, you know, they close something and then it's like, okay, well, how do we continue to get their attention? And yeah, yeah, put them in a fighter jet for an experience and they'll be your client for life. (laughs) (laughs) Throw in a hundred year old car. (laughs) Never forget that. Sharon apparently met the prime minister's sister in New Zealand and got to ride in a hundred year old Model T. Oh, that's nice. And you never that's, told anyone that. That's you yeah. should tell people. That. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool, Sharon. Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Well, maybe to kickstart some some of the proper power hour here today. Yes, Nick, go for it. He's he's got something locked and and ready. So I've been thinking about this a lot. And now that we have Stu on, I would love to go and see what your thoughts would be on this. But one of the reasons that I see between a junior and elite seller being able to book a meeting with the right people comes down to why people are on the list. That's it. I think why a lot of sellers really struggle when they're starting and they really can't book a meeting with anyone is because they don't have a good enough reason to even reach out at all. That's really interesting. You know, I know we're we're supposed to talk about getting meetings, but I'm going to have to drift over to weeds a little bit. Perfect, <laughs> please. Because for one thing, I have a new book out. I should hold it up shamelessly, and here it is: How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed. But here's the thing: weeds are. I'm loving this whole that whole experience of um, talking about weed strategy as a way. By the way, not this weed, but weed strategy to grow your business. And so the crazy thing is. The weeds all have this one model. They all use the same model. Isn't that crazy? Like, where, who got them together and said, let's do this? But they, they all do the same thing. They all leverage a fierce mindset and unfair advantages against collective scale. And they do it according to a process that is honed over millions of years. It's programmed into their DNA, and it can change on a dime to meet any challenge. So, so really, there are four multipliers in that model. And one of the ones that I think stands out a lot, and probably something that ought to stand out to sellers a lot is unfair advantages. So first of all, if you're in business, what kind of unfair advantages do you have walking in the door or just opening your doors? Like what? Because if you don't, if you're the business owner, if you're the, the visionary behind it, if you don't have unfair advantages, you don't have a reason to be in business. You won't be in business. So if the seller is walking into somebody's life, and probably not their office so much yet, but... But if you want to knock the door and get into someone's head and you have no secret advantage, first of all, yourself, so that they, they recognize that, but also I think probably the most effective or unfair advantage that you could have, it's the ability to give your clients an unfair advantage. Ooh. Isn't that it's amazing, right? Spicy. You should I say more about that because that's minutes. good. <laughs> I told you, we'd, we'd figure into everything. <laughs> but, but isn't that amazing? Because, you know, and I knew that early on in my career that I was creating these direct mail campaigns for publishers, for magazine publishers. This was back when they would send millions and millions of pieces of mail to get you to subscribe. And so they were sending things like fake checks, you know, a window envelope, and you'd see the safety paper. And then you think, oh, man, someone sent me a, well. Maybe the first time you saw it, oh man, somebody sent me a check and then afterwards like just throw it away. <laughs> but, and they were doing all kinds of things that were manipulative and, and really dishonest, I would say, or misleading. And then my mailing started coming out with cartoons about the recipients and they loved these things. They'd clip them out and stick them up on the refrigerator doors and um, they do all kinds of things with these mailings that what they wouldn't do with any of the other mailings. So anytime I created a, a new campaign for one of these big clients, and I'm talking like Time Inc. and Condé Nast and The New Yorker and so on. 
anytime I created a new record-breaking campaign, I knew I was bringing them a new unfair advantage. I knew, in fact, just walking in the door, I knew that because I was using cartoons and I knew that cartoons were almost always the best read and remembered parts of magazines and newspapers already, and that would cause the mailing that I was going to create for them to stand out in the stack of mail that somebody would get in a, on a given day. I already knew I was walking in. I was walking in and I was offering unfair advantages to them. So I would say that's that might be the key. It's just what kind of unfair advantages are you walking in with? I love that. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Well, it absolutely does. Challenger just did research. They were looking at what were the key aspects that really drove loyalty. And it was funny because most people say, well, now nowadays it's price. So price started out as only 9% in 08, 09 during the down, I don't even mm-hmm. want to call it a recession, a recession yeah. or not, but like it was oh, yeah. and to now it was, <laughs> it was. Oh, yeah. and now it's only at 12%. So it was 9% in 08, 09 and it's 12% now. What do you think makes up over 50% of loyalty? They have to know you and like you and trust you. That's it. It's a relationship. But where does that come from? Well, it comes from cartoons, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Hey. Actually, you know, it actually can. It actually Uh can do that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if I've ever shown you guys this, but I'm going to pick up a piece that I, this is the thing that I use when I want to break through. It's one of the things I use, but it's, I call it a big board. And so here it is. It's an 18 by 24 inch quarter, quarter inch thick foam. Co- it's kind of harder than foam core, but, and it has a, has a cartoon. So there's one, I'm also one of the wall street journal cartoons. That's kind of one of my unfair advantages. Like if I get to call up and say hi to the somebody's assistant to say, hi, I'm Stu Heineck. I'm calling because I'm one of the wall street journal cartoonists. I know already the assistant, the assistant is going, what? <laughs> you know, but I'm one of the Wall Street Journal cartoonists, and I'm sending a print of a cartoon, one of my cartoons, and it's about your boss. Now they're going, okay, wait a minute. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Really? So I've gotten their attention. I've broken through. We just talked about a relationship. I've established kind of a, an instant one, this intrigue. And so it's, it's definitely an unfair advantage. Anyway, when I send someone a cartoon and it's about them, that goes even further. So as an example, this woman is talking to her friend, they're having coffee, and she's saying, well, let's say when I sent this one to Mark Cuban, the caption read, she's saying, Mark Cuban says you can tell a lot about a person just by looking at their Mavs tickets. I tend to agree. You know, obviously that's that's true for uh, <laughs> that's true for Mark. <laughs> and <laughs> and that thing is framed and it's up on his wall in his office. Now, how many things can you do? I know a lot of people probably said, no, 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 you just got to send email. just send a lot of email. <laughs> I don't know. Long copy email. And that's not really, I don't know that that's really breaking through. I think it's breaking down, but. Um, <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> I think you got to do things that cause, that really stand out, that cause you to stand out. And ultimately, I think it's, you got to do things that cause people to say, I don't know who this is, but I love the way you think. I got to beat this person. And I can't tell you how many times I've met people because of just that factor. That's so interesting because this challenger research, if I recall, most of it's the experience, right, Nick? Yeah. 50% and, was the sales experience, which you just said a whole different level. <laughs> well, but, and I think a, a lot of what is, and 
at risk of being cliche, obviously, B2B is often called B2 boring. And I, <laughs> I wish that, sorry, Nick, for making you spit out your tea. But, um, but I honestly think about the client experience or the sales experience starts in marketing or in the ways that you're doing contact campaigns or in prospecting or whatever that first touch is, is where it begins. And so often, I think you're dead on, Stu, we send the novel in the email or ugh, in on LinkedIn. I, I just the other day I got an email that was probably lengthier than War and Peace. Like it, I just kept on scrolling, and I was like, "Whoa, bad, why are you sending this to stuff. me?" <laughs> and I know it's somewhat of a a status or you know, or state of the industry in B two B because it is somewhat B two boring. But I love what you're pointing to of like getting creative the new ways to get in front of people that really raise their eyebrows, get their attention, get them excited, but not in a fake way either. To your point about like the spammy direct mail of like, ooh, here's maybe a check, but it's like real authentic and it gets their attention. And like that gets meetings, that gets that experience kickstarted. Yeah, you know, I think one of the worst things I'm seeing is um, these automated DMs in, in um on LinkedIn. And you can see they're very carefully written so that they're saying, yeah, I was looking through your profile and uh, no, you weren't. <laughs> because if you were, you'd know exactly who you were talking to. You don't have any idea who you're talking to. And there's nothing relevant. There's nothing there. And so, but people think, okay, I guess that's the way I got to do it. And I got to do a lot of them because they don't, they don't really fire up many people. So <laughs> if I send 12 million of them, I'll get, you know, I'll get a few. Mm-hmm. And all you're doing is bothering people you're wasting their time. If you send long copy, that's another one. Big, big pet peeve. If you're if you're trying to reach someone who's important and busy, hard to reach, don't waste their time. <laughs> like, and long copy wastes their time. Aaron Ross um, is another. I I did interview more than just your dad, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but Aaron Ross told me something really, really interesting. So Aaron is the author of Predictable Revenue, brilliant guy, and he told me once. He said, you know. I try to keep my emails under 12 words. Try to do that, by the way. It's really tough. It's really, really tough. I try to keep my emails under 12 words and went on to describe and keep it really simple. What does that communicate, by the way, no matter what those 12 words are? I respect your time. I know you're busy. I'm going to get right to the point. It says all that without having to say it. In fact, if you had to say it, you'd waste a lot of the 12 words right, that you have. So, so you know, it's sort of a nonverbal communication here. And he said, I once wrote to to Mark Benioff, easy enough to figure out his email address. I wrote to Mark and I said, we do this, is that of interest? And he said, I heard back from him in 30 seconds. Okay, that's, you know, first of all, if somebody tells me something that like, like just sort of a source of mischief, I'm in. <laughs> okay, I got to try that too. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I, I tried the same thing. And uh he wasn't interested, but he did He did get back to me. <laughs> he got back to me within 30 seconds, and that's pretty cool. So, you know, trying to reach someone like Mark Benioff or, you know, Mark, Mark Cuban was another one. They're really busy. And God, don't waste their time with long copy. And what do you see in all of these cadences that everyone's using, everyone's launching from, from Marketo and, and HubSpot and so forth? I'm not impugning those platforms. They should really shorten up the copy. I think short copy is where it's at. I think short copy and timing, Mark Hunter once shared with me, he's another guy that I interviewed for the books, but Mark shared with me, just, you know, if you're writing to a CEO, try sending the email before, let's say eight o'clock Saturday morning, 
or maybe I don't know five or six in the in the evening Sunday because those two times the first one they're up early and they're planning their they're getting ready to step into their weekend but they're not quite there yet they're just checking and by the way if there is secretarial screening of of their email well there isn't on Saturday morning so you got them live and 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 directly. And then Sunday evening is when they're back on their computer and they're, they're just taking note or writing down ideas for the week ahead. So those are both great times to reach out to someone. I mean, I reached Steve Forbes that way as well. So, you know, you you can... Um, little name. I think you could just apply <laughs> a little bit of like logic to this. Yeah. So, you know, if I was on the other end of this, I wouldn't want to just be receiving random DMs to connect because someone is pre- pretending or lying to say that, that they were scouting around on, well, let's say, I, how many did they send? 12 million? So, you know, 12 million profiles? I don't think so. So it starts out with a lie and it just gets worse from there. It's like, it's all generic because they can't say anything relevant. They can't say, you know what, Stu, I read your books. I'm reading the second one. right. I mean, the new one right now. I'd be on the, you know what? I'd be on, on the line with you right away. I'd be going, oh, that's, thank you so much. I mean, it's because it's relevant mm. and it's something that it, you know, it, it means a lot to me right now. I mean, I'm, I'm out there working a lot of a lot of angles because I want people to know about the books. Mm. So, yeah, you know that be relevant. But you, to be relevant, you have to know something about the actually know something about the person and what they're working on and what you know. Do a little bit of work, mm-hmm. Nick. This reminds me of our conversation yesterday with Arjun. He's a senior vice president at Zoom Info, and he said close to the same thing you were saying right today, which is he gets. And, you know, it's a large company. He's a senior stakeholder and he gets essays in his inbox. And the (laughs) first thing he goes, he's like, I don't, it's not relevant to me. I don't have the time to read through that. I get thousands of these every day. So, and, and he tries and goes through and see if there's things that are interesting or relevant. I love the focus and attention on something shorter and, but also as like a creative limitation too. Nick, I think you were trying this the other week of like, how can I condense this big idea into a really small, neat, packaged idea? And that was really challenging. It's tough. That's really (laughs) tough. That's why the 12 words are so hard for so many people is because actually Nate Nisralis said it really well yesterday in our pre-call. He said the problem with most sellers is they try to write and edit in the same session, which makes writing good copy hard. But the other thing is, is they don't have anything worth saying. So. If we're thinking about what's important, that takes a little bit of research. And you could do that on the industry level, you could do that on the company level, and you could do that on the individual level. And depending, like you said, how important they are and how strong their mental spam filters are because they're seeing the same messages over and over, to really stand out, you got to do what Lynn did. And Lynn went and did the research and found out that the head of Google in Chicago loved jazz. Yeah. A little bit of research. That's great, Tapping Lynn. into the heart. And you got him. Absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I think that's great. Lynn, good job. <laughs> that's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Stu, what what are some of your, like, obviously I know you're a cartoonist and you've used that a lot in your contact campaign. So less from like a tactical level, but sort of the way you think through it. What are some of the things that you often look for when you're doing outreach to somebody? And I mean this sort of at a very like fundamental level. Like, what are you trying to connect on? What are you trying to get their attention with? What do you look for when you're researching somebody like a CEO at a big company that you're trying to get in front of? Well, I mean, sometimes it's it's personal stuff, but I, I really I want I really want to address a, a business challenge or a problem that they have or a pain point that they have. So, 
So let's say, and I'm, I, I'm, so I'm not a great deep personalization guy. I mean, I can do a little bit, but I, I don't really want to do a lot of, I, I don't really want to do the work actually, because the thing is, I'm not that I look, I've, I've heard from people who've done amazing stuff with deep personalization. So I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying that I guess I kind of grew up saying, let, for example, we're going to be working with one of the big financial advisory firms. I don't know which one yet, but we're, I'm reaching out to all of them. And I'm saying, look, I know that all of your, your advisors, they're all trying to get meetings with high net worth people in their markets. And these high net worth people are they're usually their business owners. They're very busy. They're called on all the time and they don't want to hear from a financial advisor because, you know, talk about having, needing a relationship. You have to, you have to have a trusted relationship to be somebody's f financial advisor. So it's very hard for them to break through. I know that problem. I know that pain point. And if I just jump in and say, look, I've got some thoughts here on how we can address that, how we can help them really address it, not just break through to them, but engage these people long-term. I know that these people are going to be saying, oh, hold on a second. That's actually, that's a problem we have constantly. We're constantly fighting that. So that is my approach. But you know, there are others, there are great stories of people who've reached out and they've sent things like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I should tell the whole story, story but like they'll find out someone was really interested in falconry, so they'll send a falconry glove, and they break through, and people, they're thrilled. When someone does something like that, they're thrilled. Probably kind of like when someone reaches out and says, I'm reading How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed right now. I'm going, wow, cool. What do you think of it? And I, you know, I want to know. So it's, it's very relevant. I think there are those triggers that could either be personal, but, you know, I guess if you said, let's say, you know, like if you did a profile scrape on someone and you said, Hey, and by the way, you don't know them yet, but you reach out to me and said, Hey, listen, I, I watched your whole vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I stalked you on Instagram. And I love saw when you guys were photos. jumping off the boat and skinny dipping and all that. <laughs> I, I don't know that you're going to get through to them. I mean, it's kind of creepy, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> 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 that's a good laugh it's true it is actually really interesting you point that out because i i think we see this a lot of the time where sellers hear this advice to sort of personalize or connect on a shared something but they don't make it relevant so it's personalization without relevance where i'll get outreach every once in a while being like hey saw you went to the university of denver where you know i went to school <laughs> and it's like and maybe they went to DU or, you know, maybe they know somebody there or, and it's like very surface level. And I'm kind of like, I don't so understand what? why. Yeah. So what, why are you reaching out to me? Like just to summarize what you've just said is like, you're reaching out with purpose, with intentionality, you're doing the personalization, but you're making it relevant to the business case that you're reaching out to them for it. It's, they're not separate things. They're one in the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, if, if they're going to engage with me, I don't know, there might be other, maybe they love my cartoons or something, but, but otherwise they're going to engage with me because although we don't know each other, I seem to be bringing a really interesting approach to a, or, or solution to a problem that they face constantly. Not only that, but I think I can bring, go back to the weeds, weed strategy again. I think I can bring you a, a new unfair advantage in that, in that realm. Would you be interested? You should be. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so that's that is what I I guess that's not really lazy. It's just a different focus. Mm -hmm. You know, that, I got to tell you, there's there's one other thing that is kind of like a, a pet peeve. You can see that uh, I've been around for a while. <laughs> and so 
you know, there is this sort of uh, like maybe it's a bias, we'll, we'll call it. But I love sending physical things. That, I don't always send physical things. That's not really, I mean, it's not like I have to send physical things. But I, when I send physical things, it's like it's an occasion to, to receive it, which is a big deal. So I, and I often will see these comments like, oh, yes, yeah, Stu, honey, yeah, but he's, he's kind of old school. I guess that's because I send physical things. <laughs> I don't, you know, instead of what, the, the spammy emails or the spammy DMs, <laughs> that's new school. <laughs> but, but I think really, here's the thing. Don't get caught up in what the latest trends are. Use what will be pragmatic, actually be a weed, because weeds deal with what is. And in this case, dealing with is what is is saying what works because that's what I'm going to use. I don't want to follow a trend. I don't want to follow what everyone else is doing, especially because how are you going to stand out that way? <laughs> you just makes it much more difficult to stand out. But I, I disabuse yourself of old school, new, new school. Just use what works. Yeah. But you, you said like find that unfair advantage. But yeah, right now, what I compare it to, Stu, is like looking at an earthquake and there's the epicenter where is the highest impact and it ripples out for you. Somebody talks about your comics. That's really far out from the epicenter right now because it's not a hot topic for you. It's not your priority. You're not willing to spend money on it. The closer we get to that epicenter yeah. is what is top of mind. And, you know, you would like to see top of feed for yourself. And that is yeah. your latest book. Mm -hmm. So when somebody finds that unfair advantage that they've actually read your book, that is their unfair advantage to message you because now it's top of mind. And if they can tie it to something that's, of course, it's an assumption. But if they can go and turn that conversation using that unfair advantage, mm -hmm. they're going to get the conversation. I think that's yeah. the part that people miss is you're not trying to sell them. You're not trying to pitch them. It's not... There isn't the one pitch to rule them all and you're magically just going to get them. It's how do you have that unfair advantage just to start the conversation? Yeah, you earn the right to pitch, I think. That's not yes. a written statement by me, but you do earn the right to do it. And, and I think what you're doing is you're, you're auditioning first to be able to have a conversation, to, have a, to give the pitch, I guess, but you're, you're auditioning for contact. Wow. That's such a good phrase. It's so true too, because I also have... <laughs> I appreciate disabusing ourselves of old school versus new school because I'm not all that enamored by what new school is doing right now, as you pointed out. I, what I like that you're pointing to is that the auditioning for a conversation doesn't just have to happen on one channel. This is one thing I think a lot about where if you know we are warming up an account, we're commenting or we're engaging with people on a social media platform like LinkedIn, then if I go and send that same person an email, they're going to recognize my name because I've sort of auditioned in some ways for that conversation, building trust, having great conversation, making jokes or whatever else happens on the front end. So that by the time I maybe basically want the conversation to proceed, it's not, who is this guy? It's not, why are they reaching out to me? It's like, oh, I, I know Morgan. Like, oh yeah, of course, let's continue this conversation. And that, that could happen over a a physical letter, it could happen in an email. But now it's, I love that idea of like you're auditioning for that conversation. You're trying to get it kickstarted so that you're building credibility and trust on the front end instead of pitch slapping people or uh, doing the, the business card drive by where, you know, you just, here, you want my business card? And that's not going to help yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think also just if you're having fun, I guess I haven't even thought of it this way, but if you're having fun, it, it shows. And, I think people respond to that. You know, um, 
back when we used to stop by people's offices, so way back in 2019 and before that, right? <laughs> and you know, you'd, you'd come up, you'd show. I, I think one of the, one of the really interesting um, circumstances is when someone would show up at someone's office unannounced. They just they know they're there, and they they go to the reception desk and they ask to speak to them. And of course, the receptionists would lose their jobs if they if they open the doors to things like this. But there's certain people who have certain I don't know devices or abilities, whatever it's something they've got some sort of well unfair advantage. Duh, that's what it is. They walk in with an unfair advantage, and suddenly everything changes. So there's one. Um, I think it was the founder of Structural Graphics. And, and Structural Graphics has been around for quite a while. They make these dimensional mailings. So, well, actually, they're, they're, they're these paper sculptures. So you open up something, and all of a sudden, this whole thing pops out. That's cool. Right? So, um, so well, their business cards were that. So he, he said, you know, I would call on advertising agencies on, on, on um, Madison Avenue. And every time I go into a building, um, you know, I check and see what other agencies were there and what floors they were on. And, and I look up who the creative director was. So I'd have my meeting and then I'd go down to the other floor and, and I'd stop into the other agency and go to the front desk and say, you know, I wonder if so-and-so, the, the creative director is available. And of course they're not, <laughs> according to the... The, the, the reception. Yeah. And then he said, okay, well, that's fine. I just wanted to at least, I wanted to spend five minutes to introduce myself, but can I at least leave my card? There's the unfair advantage because the receptionist gets the card, opens it up. Usually they're saying, well, hold on, that's so cool. Hold on a second. And they get them. <laughs> they get them, they get them to come over. And and here's another one. Here's a device that you could leave. Let's say you're saying, you could walk in and you're saying, hi, I want to speak to so-and-so. And, -so, and they, the receptionist does what they're supposed to do. No, nope, you can't speak to them. They're not here, whatever the whatever the story is. And they say, that's that's fine. I just wanted to leave this one thing behind because I wanted to suggest, well, I, I just wanted to, you know, give my business card and and maybe have a cup of coffee with so-and-so. So if you were, if you dropped that off, <laughs> that's pretty cool, that's right? Awesome. That's awesome. That's you know, let's, say, let's say maybe it had a, a Starbucks card in it and, and a little note. You know, I would imagine that at least 50% of the time, the receptionist is not going to, they're not going to say, Leah, we'll go away now. <laughs> I, I think they're going to say, hang on a second. That's so cool. Hold on a second. And when you can create those kinds of reactions, everything changes. I see Chris Bogues in our comments today and He's big on fun videos and, uh, as he says, mercifully short form video content. And I feel like that sort of jogged my memory. And like in the digital world, in which maybe you know we don't, we we can't get everybody in an office, or not everybody's back in an office. I feel like we sort of settled for the boring and for the normal ways to reach out to people. And we set up whole sales sequences and marketing sequences around spamming people to death and inviting them to our next webinar and all the rest of it. And it's like breaking through that noise in a digital world could be with video or it could be with, I know there's like gifting platforms. So there's like ways to send physical things alongside digital outreach and like getting creative about the ways that we're getting in touch with people instead of just settling for, here's my third DM today to try and get this person's attention. It's like, what if we sent a crazy fun video that's just native, like uh, like from your phone, like on LinkedIn's mobile app, you can just send a video. I know, yeah. Nick, you found particular success with that while prospecting. I think the problem is, is everybody gets so excited about the medium. Like, I want to go and send a card. I want to go and, you know, do a pop-in at their office. I want to go and shoot them a DM on LinkedIn. 
But the reality is if you don't have something that's worth their time and attention, it doesn't matter where you're sending it. It's still a waste of time. And so when we talk about how to do this on LinkedIn, where most people fail is 50% of the battle is what's worth the attention, what's worth reaching out about. I think when we really hone that in, whether we're running a campaign and we're sending it to 10,000 people, (laughs) then you have to really figure out what would actually be relevant to those 10,000 people and how could you segment them small enough so that you're telling them something that's worth worth saying. Or if you're doing it account-based and you're doing it individually, like high high value accounts, they're, if they're important, like you were saying earlier, Stu, they're getting tens or thousands of pieces of people interrupting their day all the time. So how do you stand out and how do you do it so that it's worth their time if you stand out? And I think that is the biggest problem with outreach right now is most of it isn't worth sending at all. Well, or, or it's just off target. And it's not that it isn't worth sending. I mean, if well, let's just assume that the businesses have a reason to exist and they have unfair advantages. Then <laughs> those are some big assumptions out. right now in it's some industries. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, then there there are reasons to reach out. But look, I think we've all gotten really really good at spotting, let's say the the automated DMs on LinkedIn and just dumping them because they're junk, and and then also. Uh, I, you know, I would say spotting the cadences. I mean, they're really easy to spot. We're, we're, we're so used to it that we're also used to just tuning them out. Oh, I see. It's just one other one of those. Get it, throw it away. Or moving it into the promotion um, inbox folder, which never gets read, or, you know. I mean, like, yep. and people talk about, let's say, another word that I hear a lot is authenticity, but it's really just, I don't know that you can automate this stuff yet, or yet. I don't know if you can automate it at all. It's like automating being a person. Yeah. Be a person. I also think that some of that too comes back to like, (laughs) do do the companies have a reason to exist? But sort of a subset of that being that sellers feel so pressured to try and reach as many people as possible. And we see this a lot, I think, where, and sure, there's some dynamics about like how big, like what's the deal size that you're trying to sell? And and probably your quota is set up to accommodate a certain number of deals being generated. But I remember when it, Nick, if you'll allow me to share the story for a little bit. Uh-oh. Uh, when Nick and I first started working together, Nick's big like red flag in the industry, the thing that he planted on is he didn't understand why people couldn't book meetings more than 30 or 50% of the time. He just didn't understand it. And a lot of that because, you know, we talk with sellers and they'd send out an email sequence and they'd barely get any response. And for him, it was always like, well, <laughs> why are you sending out that sequence in the first place? And why are you investing all of this time and energy into creating a sequence that doesn't actually generate all that many results? And as I'm thinking about what we're discussing today, you're just shifting your time and energy into things that are more personal, technically more time intensive. But I imagine that the trade-off on this is that you might book more meetings. <laughs> surprise, yeah. surprise, right? Oh, well, Morgan, I mean, you you lived it with your dad. You've That's I've true. seen it. You know? <laughs> your dad is a master at this stuff. And uh, I don't know. The thing is, I'm speaking as a as a business owner, and, and I don't know if you guys own your own businesses or not, but speaking as a business owner, we we decide all these things. But if you're selling for someone else, you're working through their their process, so their process needs to be fixed, probably. And I don't know that the sellers actually get the chance to do that. 
But I don't know. I guess just on the side, you've got to figure out what kinds of unfair advantages you can create for yourself. You know, I, I was just talking with Jeb Blount. Do you know Jeb, the yeah the author of uh, fanatical author and mm. and um with one of the top sales authors and so one of the and the founder one of the founders of outbound etc really impressive guy anyway he was telling me that he there was there were he said we well, I, I know that you, we were talking about perseverance and we were talking about weeds of course <laughs> but and weed strategy and so forth but anyway he was saying that perseverance really really stands out and and he said i would push it till Till, you know, they'd just be getting tired of me. And, but then I changed my tactic and I, you know, I'd walk in the door again and they'd go, oh my God, you again. <laughs> and, and he'd say, yeah, no, listen, uh, I'm not here to sell anything this time. I just, I'm just a little bit short on my quota for rejection. And I, <laughs> I was hoping I could stop in. I, I thought I might be able to count on you to, <laughs> to give me one more today. And, and they, they laughed. They said, oh, you know what? Hold on. And, and it broke the pattern. That's kind of a, I don't know. I, I guess you could call it an unfair advantage. He just kept going and going and going. And when he, he read the situation and when, when it wasn't, wasn't really was not appreciated, then he changed his, his tactic. He, was, he at least had the self-awareness to change the tactic. And I think, you know, like going back to that audition um, aspect, we're auditioning to do business. We're, we're also, and to sell, but really to have conversations first and to do business together. But, you know, I think really, if you, if you're a CEO, you're building a team. You're always building a team. You can't do anything. That's how you scale. You don't build it yourself. So one of your big jobs is building a team. And part of your team are, are your vendors. So when, because he also shared a story of, of one seller who um, waited, to, went, sat down on the front steps of the building, the office building at five in the morning and waited for the CEO to walk through, the, walk up the steps and then introduced themselves and said, I've been waiting since five o'clock for you. And you know that says something. I mean, it just it says these are the kinds of people I want on my team. So when we're when you're selling, you're really auditioning auditioning to become part of their team. I think. I think the whole idea of auditioning is so brilliant because what we've noticed is when we talk about like having a reason to be on the list, it always starts with an observation, something that you can actually prove to be true, not the fluff crap that we see in LinkedIn, but something real, and then telling them why it matters, and then interested. Because you think of even how you did your comics. I think that that follows that because you had an observation that led to have the copy that you put in there. Yeah. You didn't necessarily tell them why it matters because when they flipped it over, it had more information on the back, which then led to them asking themselves, am I interested? So, you know, there was a copy tactic that I used when I was writing direct mail that has stuck with me. And it, it actually is just useful across the board. And that is, well, first of all, if you think about a cartoon, and about any humor, humor is about truth revealed in a twist. It's why when we laugh at something, we're always, before we can even catch our breath, we're saying, oh my God, the, when I talked about stalking someone during their vacation earlier. <laughs> you know, it's I, so I, true. It, yeah. I mean, exactly. That's why we're always saying, oh my God, it's so true. It is like that, right? Or, so it always reveals truth in a twist. So that's great. And then with the copy that goes with it, so in the letters that I was writing in, in the direct mail campaigns, I would always, always, always start out with a statement that summarized the truth that I just revealed in the cartoon. So we don't have, always have to have cartoons with our copy, obviously, but, but I think the first line out of our mouths ought to be something that the person on the other end of this says, yeah, that's so true, right? I mean, if you don't do that, and for one thing, if your first line is, yeah, I was looking through your profile and it's obviously sent to thousands of people, it's not true. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. It's a bad way to start. 
But, mm-hmm. you know, if it was, um, I, you know, Stu, you know, I just read your book. I love your book. Um, just wanted to thank you. And I wanted to introduce you to someone who hosts a podcast that I think would love to to interview you. Well, I, you know, you'd be saying thank you. You know, or or how do I buy your book in bulk? Ooh, I'm on the phone with you, you know. <laughs> I want to help you out. <laughs> oh, that's great. I, you know, I look over to the side because I'm seeing, I, I don't get, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm ignoring you guys if I, if I look over here and read some of these comments. But these are great. Keep them coming. Yeah. And by the way, are, were there any crazy stories that popped up? Some, the one that was good that? was the lady that was saying that, uh, she worked on the um, yeah she uh, had Max Security of- Hospital that we had mentioned, um, but oh yeah, so this is the follow-on on Lynn's story was that the guys on her unit, paranoid schizophrenics, uh, all on a tons of med, gave her a Valentine with all their names signed. <laughs> oh, wow, wow, <laughs> that's a crazy story. Wow, 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 wow. If I say Nurse Ratchet, would you know what I'm talking about? Uh huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Because I don't think Lynn's Nurse Ratchet at all. That's uh-huh. really remarkable, Lynn. <laughs> one of the questions I have for you, Stu, and, and Chris sort of has a statement on this, being bolder than your competitors is another unfair advantage most sellers don't dare to try. The thing that I see a lot, it's almost like a straight jacket, where when maybe the marketing division or the leadership hasn't articulated the advantage for the company, the reason for their existence, sellers feel kind of like, you know, how, how do I, how do I do that? And this is really common, I think, especially in software where there's a lot of money getting thrown around and people sort of spin up a company out of thin air. And so there's not always that deep like discipline on profitability and product market fit. So for a seller who's trying to figure out that unfair advantage, where would you start to look at and how would you start to articulate that as a part of your outreach? Great question, because I was just thinking if you're selling for a company and you don't know what the unfair advantages are, then they've not done their job for you, actually. You know, look, the thing is, unfair advantages, the ones that I think are really unfair advantages are the ones that your competitors might try to match, but they can't. So for example, you know, I've, I've told you about creating direct mail campaigns with with cartoons and well the thing is I'm I'm also one of I'm one of the Wall Street Journal cartoonists so I understand cartooning really well not only that when when my cartoons appear I'm like 2 million readers over 2 million readers see them so that's not an advantage that someone's going to match really easily I have a, a a fireside chat coming up next week with the executive director of the Nasdaq Entrepreneurial Center uh, N- Nicola Corzine and Nicola wrote the foreword to How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed. So this is an incredible relationship that we have going. I'm amazed I get to have it with, with this you know, foundation from NASDAQ. And that's amazing. And we're now going to be teaming up to offer a new award for what's called, it's going to be called the Total Weed Award. And, um, and we're, going to, <laughs> we're going to recognize startups and, and entrepreneurs and, and VCs and, and investors for particularly weed-like spread and, and growth. Well, that's going to involve, because it's NASDAQ, it's going to involve media partners and big sponsors, and it's going to get a big splash. I, You know, that's an incredible alliance that somebody who might be trying to compete with me is going to have a hard time competing with. So it's not just, I mean, like Warren Buffett says, I never buy or he never invests in a business unless it has a moat around it. So it's another metaphor, but some sort of moat that competitors can't bridge. 
And so what, those are the advantages we're really looking for. So it's, you know, I have some of these unfair advantages myself going in, but I think, as I said before, I think one of the biggest advantages I can give is I can help. I don't know if I'm helping a sales team, I can help you get noticed. I can help you get through the door. That's like having a superpower. And certainly that's an unfair advantage. If it was, I don't create direct mail anymore, but if it was a direct mail client, then um, it would be, I can create something that's likely to get you more response and I can put it into a format that will cost you less money to produce and mail. That's a big unfair advantage. So as sellers, you at least need to, I don't know, I, I don't know if I want to say challenge the management, but maybe it is challenge, not, not, not in a bad way, but to give the issue them a challenge, you know, which is tell us what are the unfair advantages we have as a company and what are the unfair advantages we have to offer our clients? You need to know those things. Mm. Talking about the moat. It's so good, Stu, because you think of even at sellers are knowledge workers. We're professional knowledge players. And we think about what knowledge do we have and what knowledge does the company have that is one hell of a moat. And if you can find where they connect. So what was your past experiences that nobody else has? Where did you fail that somebody could learn a lot from that moment? And it holds a lot of value. Do you watch a lot of sports? Do they watch a lot of sports? Do you know stats that they would love to know? Like there's there's so many ways to find your moat. Yeah. But I think this goes back to us talking about finding that unfair advantage is that we just aren't digging deep enough to go and find that that strike point, we're not nailing that audition so they can, you know, it's we're easily ignored. Yeah, I thank you, Chris, for your comment. I mean, I'm not reading all of them, sorry, but but I'm not the producer either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's our job. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I mean, you know, I, I gotta tell you that when I'm consulting clients, I was just just starting to do this, consulting clients on growth, using weed strategy to grow, or or we're just doing roundtables and we get to the point where I'm asking business owners. So what are your unfair advantages? They have a really hard time answering that. I'm surprised to, to find, um, but you ought to know. <laughs> I mean, they ought to be, they ought to be front and center and you ought to be playing on them constantly. And they ought to be expressed in your marketing and, and in, in your sales pitches and so forth. You really need to know what they are and you need to cultivate new ones all the time. I mean, I just described a couple of things to you in, in as my own uh, unfair. I've got a bunch of them. I mean, I've got I've got this unmatched test history or test experience using cartoons and personalization. No one else can match it. I have an, an image bank of like fifty over fifteen hundred cartoons that are all they're all personalized and they can be used in mailings and email and so forth. And so it's an image bank that unlike any other image bank in the world. So they're pretty good unfair advantages. <laughs> mm -hmm. But you know when I ask business owners. What are the unfair advantages you have? They'll start by saying things like, we're really good at, at service. And that's good. You should be good at service. But <laughs> your competitors can easily match that. So keep going. What is it that about you? What is it about your company? And certainly, what is it about what you're offering them that creates new unfair advantages for your clients? That's probably a good weekend's worth of, of brainstorming um, in, a, in, a, in a weed strategy session. Mm -hmm. So you got to really give it some thought. And I would say that if, because, because to Chris's point, you know, what, a, what a great question to ask your manager. Well, uh, or, or I'm sorry, I guess it was managers. What a great The question. managers will just throw it back at you. I think is what the, do you think is, is the, the comment. So <laughs> what do you think it is? Yeah. <laughs> these things need to be understood, cataloged and, and, but then also communicated across the stuff. It has to be part of your process. And if it's not, then, um, 
you know, everyone's going to have a hard time selling whatever it is you're selling. Goodness. Oh, could not have said that. You didn't realize weed strategy was going to sneak in so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's great. Well, because uh, just to sort of, we're at the end of the hour somehow. This has just flown by. Thank you. The, the thing that I'm leaving today with is that B2B doesn't have to be boring, right? Like we, we should push ourselves creatively even in digital mediums, even even in using email or phone or video or LinkedIn or whatever else to reach people in interesting ways that gets people excited to talk with us because we're auditioning for that conversation where we're trying to kickstart it. So thank you for sharing all those insights. Oh, you're great. Thanks for having me on. Where, just like we always offer, like where can people find your book? Where can people learn more? Well, you can, you can buy the book anywhere, find books or sold anywhere except the airport. Don't go there. <laughs> and sorry to do that while you were drinking coffee, Nick. <laughs> okay. But anyway, and then come to my site. So you can see my name on the screen. It, my, my author site is stuheinick.com. So just come to the site. Now, I want to tell you something. If you come to the site and you sign up for my list, you can get the first two chapters of, the, of How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed for free. But you can also shop merchandise. And I just wanted to show you this oh. one. Oh. <laughs> Chief love weed it. officer, I love I, it. I might have to show the weed again because you know I, I have people when I wear this out, you know, and about people will come up and say, "Hey, man, I love your T-shirt, man." <laughs> I'm saying, "Would you take another look at the weed?" Because <laughs> it's a dandelion. <laughs> oh goodness, that's so good. <laughs> anyway, with, but but I've got merchandise, really cool weed-oriented merchandise <laughs> on the site as well. So come and join my my list, but come and visit. Awesome, thank you, Nick. Do you want to close this out? Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Stu. We really appreciate having everyone tune every every week. It's my ask today is if you love this show, go follow Stu. Make sure you send a good connection request that you know <laughs> states that unfair advantage, and comment. We're looking to grow the network and help more people. So if you know somebody that with this would be really valuable, even just one, please throw in the comments and let them know why they should listen. Mm -hmm. Even let them know a timestamp. Any of you sharing means a lot. And as a thank you to you guys, if you're not sure what your unfair advantage is, shoot us a DM and uh, maybe we'll do a session on that because that is mm. juicy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm juicy. I, you know what? I think we should meet in uh, either Sun Valley this, this ski season or, or Key West or something like that. And we'll do a session together. <laughs> Love. Love it. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Man. Let's do it. I'm in. And I mean, not just us. I mean, I mean the people who want to be in the in the thing. You know, let's do a real mastermind. You know, in a crazy place. Yes, like Sign crazy me up. place. Sign me up. Cool. Thank you. Happy Friday. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Take care, everyone. See you, Stu. Thank you. Bye. Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs>